So imagine having the opportunity to come face to face and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with one of, if not the most famous religious leader alive. What are you going to ask? What are you going to say if you could meet with, and I'm not talking about Jesus, if you could meet with the most famous, one of the most famous, maybe the most famous, important, significant, learned, real, religious leader in the whole world. Well, today we're going to look at a text in the Bible where Jesus comes face to face with one of, if not the most significant, learned, religious leader alive at the time. And it's going to be anything but boring. John chapter 3 is the text. If you have a Bible, you can find the third chapter of the gospel according to John. And it is something. What happens between Jesus and Nicodemus? We'll look at John 3 verses 1 to 15. Lord willing, if we have time to get all the way through there, I hope we do. I think it's a good follow-up uh, to Exodus because... He does talk about Moses, at least, and we're done with our Exodus series, and Lord willing, in not next week, but the next week, I want to start Second Timothy. So I want to buy a little bit of time in the meantime. It's always good to hear from Jesus. It's always good to hear what Jesus has to say about famous religious leaders. Uh, and John chapter 3 is just a classic go-to text that everybody needs to know about, so I thought it would be good to do. I do have a, a prop up here to remind me that we do. If I shine this, is it going to blind you? That's that's some shine. So we do have the uh, scripture journals in for First and Second Timothy and Titus. So some of you are fond of these things. So we do have them in stock. It helps you to have the text of scripture on one side and a place to take notes on the other side. I actually love them. Um, I'm not so sure about these shiny ones, though. I've got the black traditional one that makes me feel a little bit better. But anyway, um, they're out of print, so we have the... At least they're not pink. Last time around, I think they were pink. So I can get behind this and still feel good about myself. Maybe you can too. It's green. It's forest green. So helps me to think, to circle words, words that are repeated, where there's a pattern in things. I really, really benefit from those. So if you want to get one, get one from the bookstore. If it's not in your budget, I'm sure we would love to give you, give you one if it helps you learn the Bible better. Communion at the end of the service today too. So not next week, the next week, Second Timothy. Second Timothy is all about the priority of the church. The priority of the church, specifically gospel. It is a gospel book. It's a gospel priority. Paul reminding Timothy who pastors a church, whatever you do, don't deviate from the gospel. And he even has to warn him to not deviate from the gospel because mission drift is a thing. So I'm super excited to do Second Timothy because it'll be great for us as a church to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. So that's what that's about. Um, communion at the end of the service today, a fitting way for us to end, having heard from Jesus uh, and thought about eternal life. Is there anything else I need to talk about before we get into this passage? Okay, hopefully not. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees, the preeminent religious leaders of the Jews, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And think religious ruler, don't think political ruler, though politics were involved. But think a, a, a theologian, an expert in theology, an expert in the Bible, when you need to find out the meaning of a passage, and you need to have someone rule on that. Or how it's applied, you go to the Pharisees, right? So Nicodemus is a ruler, and that's probably understated because later on, it's going to define him as the ruler. 
Thus, if you had an opportunity to go and meet face to face with one of, if not the most significant religious leader on the planet, Nicodemus, what would you say? We're going to hear what Jesus has to say. So here we go. Verse two, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know Speaking for himself and, and his friends and, and fellow Pharisees, we know, and I want you to remember that if you are a circular, underliner kind of person, the we know is going to become important again later because Jesus is going to use he's, that same kind of verbiage. So Nicodemus, key religious theological figure, he says, teacher, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And we did just see in Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, these signs commonly associated with people like Moses. Commonly associated with people like Isaiah. These prophets that come from God... It's not ordinary to, to have signs. They're extraordinary. And so Nicodemus is saying, you are someone who stands out. You, you, you remind us of Moses. You, you remind us of how God extraordinarily worked in people's lives like Moses or like Isaiah or like one of the prophets. You've got our attention is what he says to Jesus. We can see this. We know this. That you do these things unless God is with him. So he recognizes religious authority. Coming from one who is perhaps the most uh, most decorated religious authority. Now based upon some things we're going to see later. Like down in verse 12. We won't go there now. It it seems like Nicodemus is coming. Because if... Jesus is a standout as a prophet Moses kind of figure. And Nicodemus is the man when it comes to knowing things about theology and the Bible and doctrine and how to apply it. He wants to come to Jesus and, and maybe get some new insights. Right? I, to, to get some more credibility from his vantage point of being a teacher who has authority. And I'm reading that into the early verses because of what will come up later. So it seems like he's, he, he wants some extra special knowledge from this man who seems to be uniquely blessed of God. He wants something special from him. Interestingly enough, while Nicodemus has not actually asked the question at this point, Jesus is going to answer him. It's just so interesting to watch. And it's going to go from nice to not so nice. So brace yourself. There's a big shift between verses 2 and 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, so earnestly, earnestly, seriously, seriously, truly, truly, I say to you, and I wrote, I I connected some dots in my notes, I connected the you to the guy who said, we know, we know things, we are authorities and we understand things, we know, and so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the the, the Mr. I know a lot, to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as we will see, that's a synonym. Seeing the kingdom of God is participating in the kingdom of God. And that's a synonym for eternal life. We'll see it. So, Mr. Authority, a teacher of the Jews, 
we're going to see the teacher of the Jews, Pharisee, Mr. I know a lot of things. I'm going to tell you something that's going to be insulting. And you didn't ask a question, but I'm answering you. Unless you are born again, you won't see the light of day in the kingdom of heaven. You won't participate in the kingdom of heaven. You, you, you don't have eternal life. Wow. Right? Any bystanders that might have been there under the cloak of darkness? If, if I would have been standing there and I wouldn't really have really known what's going on, I, I would have thought, I don't believe I would have said that. Do, do you know who you're talking to? He's the guy who knows things. <laughs> if you know so much Nicodemus, why don't you know this is the idea? It's startling. It's unexpected. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Generally speaking, and I don't want to overstate things, but based upon my reading of history and commentators and things like that, generally speaking, the Jews at this point in time, they'd arrived at a place where theologically they thought, apart from being an apostate, as long as you're a Jew, as long as you have a good name like Davidson, I kid a little bit, but as long as you're, as long as you're a Jewish, Jewish person, then, then you're in. You're, you're in God's temporary kingdom now in Jerusalem and you're, you're going to be in the eternal kingdom. You, you have eternal life. And so Jesus discounts that entirely. He takes that apart entirely. And if we step back, and one reason why I like to do John chapter 3 in our day is because in our day, we tend to think that the prerequisite for eternal life, the prerequisite for entrance into the kingdom of heaven is what? Been to a funeral? Been to a funeral lately? I like, I like that you say good works, you're right, but it, it's even gotten worse. <laughs> it seems like when you go to a funeral, sometimes they talk about good works, and I at least like it that they have a category for good works, but more often than not, the way to get to heaven is by death. The way to eternal life is by dying. How weird. But it's not that, not that altogether different from Jesus talking to Nicodemus because he assumes if you're a Jew and you die, you go to heaven. It's different, I know, but it's not altogether different from 21st century modern America where if you die, he's in a better place. Or when you die, well, at least he's not suffering anymore. Based upon what? Because they died. Jesus wants to help us to understand that that's not true. And here he's being mean. Maybe maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's an overstatement. Jesus is being, you know, pretty confrontational. And and none of you are religious leaders. Well, maybe a few of you are, but you get the idea. Um, so we do need to translate the gap. But Jesus isn't, I, I'm not trying to preach Jesus to you today and scold you. Jesus is scolding this guy, but he would want people to be taught the right thing and turn to him for salvation. Okay, so just hopefully that helps kind of bridge the gap a little bit. So, so whatever is meant by you must be born again, whatever is meant by that, it has to happen. Fair enough? Whatever that means, it has to happen if Jesus knows what he's talking about. And for this guy, even if you're part of the right religion, and I'm going to assume, I'm not just going to assume, Judaism is the right religion at the time. So he's a part of the right religion, but Jesus is going to want him to know that that doesn't get, get you in. There's something more. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. Verse four says, Nicodemus said to him, how 
how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's just dumb, right? That's ridiculous. And we don't know Nicodemus' motives. You know, we don't have an inspired footnote. So his motives may be negative, saying that's about as ridiculous as, as can possibly be. Or maybe he's a little bit more earnest in things. And, and, and if he is, he's taking Jesus in a wooden, literalistic kind of way that Jesus doesn't mean. He doesn't mean it at all. And we're going to see that he doesn't mean you actually, as an older adult person, are, are born a second time from your mother's womb. That's not what he means, but he does use the analogy. He does use the image, you must be born again. I, a, a, a pastor that um, I used to be close with said, you know, I was taught in seminary, you always take the Bible literally, and then I preached through John's gospel. I thought, right? It's amazing what uh, practice does to your education. <laughs> So yes, we take the Bible literally as in face value. Um, it, it means things that are meant to be real. But Jesus for sure doesn't mean to be taken literally. It's the unbelieving Nicodemus that is taking him literally as an unregenerate person. He's talking about something more than being born physically a second time, isn't he? He literally is. Let's put it that way. Then verse five says, Jesus answered, truly, I say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, oh, here's what it means, of water and the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he's starting to explain himself what he means by this. Must be born again. Well, what is that? Well, you have to be born of water and you have to be born of the spirit. And we have to ask ourselves, oh, well, what is that? Well, we know it's not Christian water baptism because Christianity hadn't started yet. So Jesus hasn't lived his full life yet. He hasn't been crucified. He hasn't died. He hasn't been raised from the dead. So he's not talking about water baptism, which pictures that. He's talking about something else. And he's talking to Nicodemus, who's supposed to know what he's talking about. So he's talking about some kind of Old Testament reality that everybody should know. Oh, what text is that? If you have a study Bible or you have footnotes in your Bible, more than likely it has a cross-reference to multiple passages, but probably Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is the text. It's the standout passage, Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 37. I'll read from Ezekiel 36. You can look it up if you'd like to, but he's going to explain to Nicodemus what he means. You must be born a second time or you don't go to heaven. What does that mean? He says you have to be born of the of water and of the spirit. What does that mean? Let's read it. Ezekiel 36 verse 25 says, I, who's the actor here? It's God. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. So see, this is a spiritual kind of cleansing uh, because he's not just talking about, you know what, it's been a while. Um, you should you should have a bath. No, they're, they're, it's idolatrous. It's a spiritual cleansing from all your idols. I, God, will cleanse you. So we know it's spiritual cleansing. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Oh, spirit within you. This is a spiritual thing. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Also, there's newness. But it's spiritual newness. It's a provision from God. God does this. 
And it's something everybody needs. And that assumes something. What does that assume? If everybody needs to be cleansed by God to get into the kingdom of God, that assumes that we all have what kind of problem? We have a sin problem, right? We're spiritually not clean. We need to be spiritually clean. And how does that happen? God has to do it. Nicodemus should know this. Sometimes, uh, even if he had it memorized in the original language, you, you know things and you forget things. That's a common thing that happens. Especially when it comes to sin. You mean I have to admit before God and fellow human beings that I'm not worthy, that I'm not fit, that I need God to do something for me that I can't do myself? Uh Uh-huh. That's exactly what it is. And you know the application, right? For us. People don't like to acknowledge that they are not fit for heaven. People don't like to acknowledge that they're not good enough, that they haven't done enough good works. That, that belonging to the right religion, having the right last name, having membership in the right church and the right denomination, that that doesn't get you in. We don't like to do that. It assaults our pride. I like to think of myself as a good person. Uh, I like it when people say, oh, Pat, he's a good guy. Yeah, and I, and I want to take that too literally and think, yeah, internally. You know, we, we all want to ignore what the Bible says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is wicked. Um, we like to say, but you know, I know I don't do all the right things, but God knows my heart. And anybody who knows anything about the Bible is going, oh, brother. <laughs> right? Nicodemus, you need to acknowledge that you're unclean. You need to acknowledge that you're sinful. You need to acknowledge that God has to do something or there's no way God's going to let you into his kingdom because he requires perfect righteousness is the idea. And this is, this is a good message for us to know. This is really important for us to know. I don't have a lot of memories of my mother um, before, before I became a Christian. I don't, I don't have a great memory. Uh, I don't think my I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, but my, I think my mother was a Christian for a long time. She just went to a church that, that didn't, te- didn't teach her the Bible. Uh, when my father died, then she had freedom. And then one thing leads to another. And then as lots of you know, for the last seven years of her life before she went to heaven, she was a member of this church and a godly woman and knew a lot of things. But I remember one time when before I was a Christian, before she was really growing spiritually, um, she was talking to my, my father's best friend. Something came up about eternal life and sin and the Bible. And and he said to her, well, you're not one of those born agains, are you? And I don't know if I was in the other room or in the room, but I just remember the question. And I I remember my mom saying, there is no other kind. And I thought, "Hmm. I don't know the Bible much, but I think my mom might be winning this argument. (laughs) which appeals to the flesh. So I liked it. <laughs> so, And she knew enough to know John chapter three. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So you're not one of those born again Christians, are you? <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a redundancy. There's only one kind of Christian, a born again Christian, because Christians are those who have been spiritually cleansed by the sovereign grace and mercy of God and are fit for heaven, ultimately based upon the work of the Lord Jesus. To give a little credit to my dad's best friend, I think he was talking about televangelists and those kinds of people, but my mom still won the argument. I try to make it a little lighthearted so I can say with all seriousness to you, 
The only way to be fit for heaven is to be spiritually clean. It's to be born a second time. As some translators put it, to be born from above. And we're going to get into what this looks like. It has to happen from God. God has to do it. He has to be the cleanser. But this person who supposedly knew so much and was a religious leader wasn't clear telling people that they're spiritually unclean, spiritually unfit, not to mention thinking about himself. And he needs the sovereign grace of God to make him pure so that he, like Jonah, could say, salvation is of the Lord. It's not of us. Okay, let's go to, are we on verse six? Okay, let's go to verse verse six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If it's natural, it's natural. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If it's from above, it's from, from the Holy Spirit doing something. If it's from God, then it's spiritual. And that's what needs to happen. As one commentator put it, so even if one could be physically born a second time, it wouldn't work. Because that's not what he's talking about, right? You're still in your sins. John chapter 1, if we went back there to verse 13, is enlightening and helpful here. John 1, 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those are the ones who are the children of God, who are born from God spiritually, new birth, new creation stuff. Okay, let's keep going in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Grammar scholars point out that it could very well be that the the thrust of it is stop believing like that. You got to get that out of your mind. You got to rethink everything. Stop being surprised that I say to you, you have to be spiritually reborn. Even you. You must be born again. Even you, the religious leader who's been teaching all of these people so much. Even you who think you know so much. Ever so quickly, because we're going to run out of time, but I love how clear First John chapter 1 verse 10 is. And you know it well, probably, if you've been around the church very often uh, and in reading your Bible, but... It's a good reminder. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's even writing to a Christian audience. So the two go hand in hand. The born a second time, water and spirit, spiritual work, spiritual cleansing would only make sense if I'm spiritually not clean, which would mean I'm a sinner But I don't like to think of myself as a sinner. But you know what? God officially declares Pat Abendroth, front of the line, (laughs) right? And not because your last name ends in an A. Because he knows our hearts. So let's just come clean. Let's just agree with God, right? And first John talks about confess. Let's just confess. Let's just cop to the crime. Here's the accusation. You're a sinner. You know what? I agree with you. I am. It's why I need an advocate. It's why I need Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's why I need to be born from above. It's why I need to be spiritually cleansed. It's why I need to be born a second time. I agree. I was having a a good conversation with one of you, a church member the other day, and you were excited about being here. And I happened to say, well, what makes you so excited? And I was so excited to hear one of you say, finally, 
I don't have to be good enough. Everybody has to be perfectly good to see the kingdom of heaven. Old Testament teaches that. New Testament teaches that. But what Jesus came to make clear, and it was already there, but it needed to be made clear again, even to the teacher of the Jews, is that nobody, nobody's good enough. You've got to be born a second time in its spiritual rebirth, cleansing by God. Holy Spirit regeneration by God. And so you can now say, finally, if we're honest, since I'm not good enough, finally I know now I don't have to be good enough. Not a good excuse to live badly. No, the Bible talks about that. We're not doing that this morning, but the Bible definitely talks about that. But finally, I can see I need Christ. I need him because I know I have a spiritual cleanliness problem. Jesus is needing to blow the dust off the Bible, if you will, for this man. You of all people should know text like Ezekiel. Now, what a mystery this is. Let's keep moving to verse 8. Here's an illustration. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's mysterious. He's, he's using mystery language. The spirit does whatever he wants to do. Kind of like the wind. You know, the wind just has a mind of its own. We see its effects. But we can't create it. We can't harness it. We can't mandate it. It's mysterious. So you yourself can't control the spirit's work. You yourself, even as a religious leader, Nicodemus can't, Nicodemus can't control the Spirit's work. You yourself cannot understand the mysteri- mysterious aspects of the Spirit's work. It's the work of the sovereign God. And that's good for us. It's, it's really good and important theology for us, understanding God in his ways, to step back and say, I know people must be born a second time. I know God must do it. But I can't harness it. And it's a bit of a mystery as to how it all works. We're not going to take the time to go there, but we could go to Romans chapter 10 and look at the anatomy and how God works, all the theological anatomy of all this. And God does use the proclamation of his word to bring about the new birth in people's lives. And that results in faith and justification. We could do all of those things, but that's not really what he's doing right here. It's still at the point of, wow, God does what he wants to do. That's humbling, especially if you're a religious leader and God does what he wants to do and he's the one that does it. And so it causes us to praise him and not ourselves or our friends. It's mysterious. This is mind blowing for him, no doubt. Nicodemus, it says in verse nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? You know, paradigm rocking. If he had a computer screen, it would just be the spinning wheel of death, right? In his mind. What in the world? Religious leaders think they can control everything and everyone, and it's just not so. 
Not if you're talking about the real, real deal. How about verse 10? It says, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? I, I asked you to think that way earlier, and that's why. Are, are, are you the teacher of Israel? You're the guy. And yet you do not understand these things? You should. You should understand that people are bad. You should understand that people must be cleansed. And the only way to be cleansed is not through the ritual that you do. It has to ultimately come from above, from the sovereign work of the Spirit of God. You you don't know this stuff? It's crazy if you don't know this stuff. You have to know this stuff. They need God to work. Otherwise, no heaven. Of all people. So if if our favorite religious leaders aren't clear about sin, they're not clear about you must be cleansed from God supernaturally or you don't go to heaven, we should trade in our favorite favorite spiritual leaders. I remember years ago when when Rob Clay was on our pastoral staff and, and worked in the high school ministry. And Rob Clay loved to ask people what the gospel is. And I remember, I don't remember where it was, but we were at like a pastor's conference or something. And here's Rob, Robbie Clay going around asking pastors to ex- please explain the gospel to me. It's amazing how many people fumbled all over themselves in explaining what the gospel is. It means the good news, the good news about what Jesus has done. That's what the gospel is. But Nicodemus is never going to understand the good news about what Jesus is doing and is going to do ultimately climactically if he already thinks he's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because he's already spiritually clean. And it won't make any sense. The gospel doesn't make any sense for such people as this, even though he's got the right pedigree. Well, now the dialogue becomes monologue. Verse 11 says, truly, truly, I say to you, we... Probably using the plural as a mirror back to Nicodemus. So, so we, my friends and I, especially me, here's, here's what we think about you. Now, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So he's contrasting himself to Nicodemus and the other religious leaders. You guys base what you believe and teach and promote based upon things that are not objective, things that are not true, things that are not tested by eyewitness. And we, Jesus is saying, me, and all the true prophets, if we want to include them, if you will, we base what we teach on facts. We base what we teach on the facts of history. Eyewitness, credible. That's, that's what he's getting at. He's arguing for credibility. And we know that Jesus came from heaven itself. And so he knows what he's talking about. Verse 12 says, if I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, you do not believe me, how could you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And that out of context, I think it's a bit of a mystery. Commentators help us in the dialogue. What he's probably getting at is Nicodemus came to him. And he came wanting some super special secret high-end, you know, 900-level class theological insights. Because he already thought he knew all the basics. Jesus dresses him down. You don't even know the basics. You don't even know the ABCs and the one, two, threes. And now using that same kind of language, it seems, commentators tend to think, I tend to think as well. He's saying, if you don't even know the ABCs and one, two, threes, how could I tell you the advanced stuff? Wouldn't make any sense. Because he has been talking about heavenly things. And so I think that accounts for that. 
Okay, verse 13. We're going to wrap this up. 13 says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. It's a good image. You want to know who knows about the kingdom of heaven? The one who came from there. I have that authority. I know what I'm talking about. He's the one who came from heaven. He has the revelatory information as the Messiah, as the son of man, an official title from the Old Testament for Messiah. I'm that one. You want to know how to really know things? You want to know how it's possible to really know the truth? It comes from me, not sacred tradition. Verse 14 says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness from numbers, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus isn't disagreeing with Moses. He's referencing Moses. And he's connecting the dots saying, like what happened there is gonna happen to me. Now we know, we could go to Isaiah, we won't do it in Isaiah 52 and 53. He's lifted up in humiliation to be the suffering sacrifice substitute to save his people from their sins and that is how they're going to gain eternal life. No doubt he's drawing attention to that. So the takeaway has to be, none of us are good enough. The most famous guy around wasn't good enough. He would have said he believes the Bible. Who knows how many Bible chapters and verses he had memorized. He was a monotheist. He believed in Yahweh. He liked Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the right kind of pedigree. But sometimes even people like that don't know the basic ABCs, one, two, threes. I'm not a good person. I must be cleansed by God and God alone, by the spirit of God, cleansed by the washing of regeneration. It has to be through his work. That's the takeaway. And then the takeaway is, you know what? You need to not look for your, to yourself for that. You have to look to God for that. And the other takeaway is you need to look outside of yourself and look to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides perfect atonement, perfect cleansing, all of those things that we all need. That's why he came to save his people from their sins. And then know this. You see yourself as God does. You agree with him. You're a sinner. You don't trust in yourself or religious leaders. You trust in Christ. Guess what you can then know has happened in your life? You have been born again. Then you know you've been born again. We'll end on this. I was careful about how I said all that. Because Jesus doesn't say, Nicodemus, let me tell you how to be born again. He doesn't do that. There's nothing Nicodemus himself could do to be born again. Remember what Jesus does is he says, it's like the wind. The spirit is. Goes wherever it wants to go. We see the evidences. He tells him to believe in Jesus in effect, if you will. That's a command. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's true. But the Bible never says, here's how you should be born again. Step one. Step two. That's the spirit of God's work. So stepping back, here's what we do. We preach Christ to everyone. How will they know without a preacher? Romans chapter 10 says. And we pray for people to be 
saved because the spirit of God has to work in their lives. And then sometimes when people wonderfully, fantastically, we love it. When someone says, I'm believing in Jesus, we say, praise the Lord for the spirit's work in your life. Evidences of being born again. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where did that faith come from? It's not a good work. It's not through manipulation. It's the sovereign, mysterious, wind-like work of the spirit of God. Evidenced in faith and salvation. Amazing stuff. We should pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in the gospel according to John. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus. We're thankful that he loved us, not when we were lovely, but when we were spiritual enemies, when we were spiritually unclean, that we were not on the right road, on the right path, doing good, loving God and loving neighbor. And he loved us while we were yet sinners so that we could have eternal life. And we're thankful for the triune work of redemption and the work of the Father and the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit. We praise you, our great triune God. And now as we eat and drink in remembrance of the Lord Jesus, may it be a time of worship. May it be a time of refreshment. May it be a time where we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally remember and find refreshment in the fact that salvation is not what we do. It's what the Lord does for us. In his name we pray, amen.